Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is both practical and contemporary, that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. Could Jesus, looking at us, say the same thing he said to his disciples, meaning, oh, you, a little faith? Do we really understand who he is and acknowledge his authority and acknowledge his power when we find ourselves in hopeless situations? Or should we indeed be defined as, oh, you, of little faith? Do we question him if we don't receive what we expect? of him. If we do, we turn in Jesus Christ into a cosmic Santa or a cosmic dispensing machine where we go to and push the right buttons in the right sequence and here comes a blessing we want. But that's not who God is, is it? And we find here in this passage, in this encounter with the leper, we find something extremely important about Jesus Christ, something that we should never ever forget or ignore or be ignorant about. So I would like to begin to explain this passage by talking about leprosy. Leprosy is a dreadful disease. But leprosy in the Bible, the word that is translated with leprosy in the Bible, is not only Hansen's disease, which is leprosy as we know it today, it includes a whole range of skin diseases that are all similar to one another. They have in common several things. First of all, the way the skin looks. But they, and most importantly, they have in common the fact that they are associated with uncleanness. And therefore, the individual that is ill in that way has to be segregated, not necessarily isolated, but segregated from the congregation of Israel. Now, what's the difference between being segregated and isolated? Well, you see, when you read in Scripture, you see people who are lepers that going around, they dress in rags and they say, leper, leper, unclean, unclean. So that means they are not isolated completely from the community of Israel, but they are segregated. They are not to be in contact with anybody else. And so as they go around, they shout a warning to the other people, but you can't imagine that even though it's segregation and not isolation, it was not easy to deal with. It was very, very difficult. Lepers were regarded as a living dead. Now, we're not talking about zombies here, but something close to that. Because their flesh, for example, in Numbers 12 and in Job 18, their flesh is referred to as the flesh of one dead or as consumed by death itself. So think about that for a second. And it, it, it is a scary disease. It is an isolating disease. It is a disease that is looked upon with contempt in many cases. 
But what we find in Scripture that is particularly significant is that in the Old Testament, for example, in 2 Kings 5, 7, it's written that only God can heal leprosy. And then in the New Testament, we find Jesus Christ healing leprosy. You connect two and two, and you will see that that in itself was a statement, a declaration of the divinity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. At times, because of the dreadful effects of that disease of leprosy and the isolation that he brought, leprosy is regarded as a symbol of sin. Why? Because sin has dreadful consequences. Sin consumes us. Sin is death in us, and it isolates us from God and the community of God. So you can see the parallel in there and why sometimes leprosy is equated with that. However, most often in Scripture, you find that leprosy is actually a symbol of the tragic vulnerability of a human being. We're all vulnerable. We can all be under that state of uncleanness. We can all be contaminated by sin and by illness. And that brings up something particularly important in Scripture, and that is our desperate need for compassion and for the redemption and the healing that only God can provide. So that is the background about leprosy in, in, in a nutshell. That is what we can understand about it from Scripture. And with that in mind, and keeping that in mind, we now approach this situation where Jesus Christ encounters a leper, and we can understand a little better the exchange that takes place in it. But before we do that, we need to also understand something about Jesus Christ as well. In the Gospel accounts, we find Jesus constantly interacting with human suffering. I don't think you can see any action of Jesus Christ that in one way or another is not related to human suffering or human misery in some way. There are many different forms of suffering, obviously, but it is always suffering. The miracles of Jesus, in fact, many scholars would agree with this, that, that the miracles of Jesus no longer make sense apart from the presence of human suffering. And one way we can see that, we can look at it, and one way we can understand it is the fact that Jesus Christ never, ever used his divinity, his being God, to serve himself as human. After all, that would be idolatry. And that's one of the temptations, by the way, that he is exposed to as he goes in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. One of the temptations, or the core of the temptation, is to use his divinity to serve his humanity. But it was always the other way around. And in fact, you find in Jesus Christ the ultimate self-giving because you find God himself pouring himself out for others, not for himself. And so every miracle, every time that Jesus Christ uses Pardon me for my terminology, I don't like the word uses, but I can't think of anything better to say. His divinity and performs a miracle is never to serve himself. It's always to serve someone else who is in need, someone who needs a miracle. is an outpouring of himself for the other person. God is the ultimate giver. It doesn't just give us something. He gives us himself totally and completely. Jesus Christ is presented as our great physician who has come to relieve those who are, who are oppressed and those who are suffering. And over and over you see in Scripture, especially in the Gospels, over and over you see humanity crying out to him. Let me remind you about some examples of that. Have mercy on us, son of David. Remember? Please help us in our unbelief. Lord, save us because we're perishing. Or like in this passage, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Humanity always cries out to God, and God responds. And in fact, not only God responds to our cries, not only God responds to our 
imploration. Sometimes he doesn't even wait. Sometimes we don't even have the time to utter our cry that he is already there responding. His actions are always presented in one way or another in response to human misery. And at times, human suffering, the suffering he responds to, may be regarded as, well, it's, it's not so bad after all. It's kind of petty, maybe, in some ways. It's minor, which really reminds us that nothing is too small for him to care about it. I remember back in the days when we were in Bible college, hearing of a woman who had a very, very difficult day. And the last drop in that bucket of difficulties in the day is that she went to open the door of a house and she dropped a key in a drainage. And now she said, I can't even get into the house. So what does she do? Lord, I know this is not a big deal, but I could really use a break. Would you please help me out? So she reached down and picked up the, the key that was floating on the water, opened her door with grateful, thankful heart to God. I remember a little, a little girl that girl had had many, many problems, and I won't tell you the story about that this time because it would take a while, but she had many health problems, but her little brother, it was so cute, and he worked so hard. He worked so hard to help his little sister because she was sick, and he worked so hard to earn his dollar, and he wanted that dollar to get some ice cream. You know, there was a little ice cream truck going through in the neighborhood, and he was looking forward to that, and he got his dollar just before the time that usually the ice cream truck was going by. But, oops, it was the wrong day. That was the day the ice cream truck does not go through that street. I remember this little boy kneeling in front of a couch and saying, Lord God, I know I'm, I'm, I'm asking for a lot, but I worked so hard for this dollar. Could you just please make an exception for this time and let the ice cream truck go through this street? As he got up, he heard the bell of the ice cream truck. And filled with joy, with a grin that was going from ear to ear, he dashes out of the door and says, thank God, thank God, thank God. And the ice cream guy probably thought it was, this kid was going crazy. <laughs> Is this something too small for God to care? But there are other cases in Scripture where the misery addressed by Jesus Christ is profound and desperate, humongous, hopeless, which, by the way, reminds us there is nothing too big for him to care for either. The key of it all, the key of what we see here, and the key of this crucial moment and this crucial encounter with a leper, which is actually symbolic of Jesus Christ's encounter with humanity, is in Matthew 8 and verse 17, which says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now, I want to read it again for you, because this is vital. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. You're not talking about Jesus Christ healing somebody by just some magic. You're not talking about Jesus Christ wiggling a, you know, something and then poof, the person is made well. You're talking about Jesus Christ's encounter with humanity whereby he takes the pain, he takes the suffering, he takes the infirmity of the individual in and upon himself to make us free. That's different. Something to keep in mind as we look at this passage again. And in fact, in this passage that we just read today, Notice that a leper came to Jesus Christ beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's the request. That's the cry out of humanity. Humanity in his distress, humanity in our 
agony, in our suffering, in our difficulty, crying out to God again. Notice the verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus acted. Now that's, that's a kind of an interesting aspect because that statement, that verb in the Greek is probably the most important part in this passage. The Greek says, splachnesomai, may not mean anything to you. But what that term, that verb means, it denotes much more than just having mercy or compassion toward that individual. It means to be feeling deeply, viscerally, to yearn, to have compassion or pity, but in a way that actually moves the, the inner being. It's a deep, profound reaction, not a superficial one. It denotes a, a, a movement of an innermost aspect of the being on the individual. So Jesus Christ was moved in the very core of his being for this person, for that leper. Jesus Christ is moved from the very core of his being for the suffering and the agony and the difficulty that humanity is experiencing, including you and I. It's a very difficult verb to translate, but I would like to read to you what a great theologian had to say about that verb. This is from Karl Barth. He wrote the following. It means that the suffering and sin and abandonment and peril of these men not merely went to the heart of Jesus, but right into his heart, into himself, so that their whole plight was now his own. And as such, he saw and suffered it far more keenly than they did. He took their misery upon himself, taking it away from them and making it his own. There is certainly no suggestion of a passive mood or attitude or the mere feeling of a spectator here, as the word sympathy might imply. The verb, the Greek verb, splagnesomai, obviously refers to the action of Jesus, but it tells us that this has an inward source, and it is the movement of the whole being of Jesus toward that man. And I read that and I think about it and I can't help but just my reaction is, wow, I did not expect it. I expected him having compassion, but I did not expect communion in that moment. I did not expect oneness. I did not expect the depth of connection that we see in there because, because frankly, I don't understand it. And I think you don't either. We don't experience it that way at all. The beauty of the passage rests in the response that Jesus gave the leper. You see, it was that movement of compassion that led the Lord to connect with the suffering of a leopard. It is the movement of compassion, a deep, profound compassion that Jesus Christ has for us that we just described that moves him to connect with you and with me and with all of us, with humanity in our suffering, in our pain, in our sorrow. And it was that same movement of compassion that moved him to say to that man, I am willing. And I think that perhaps right now we understand what he's talking about. He's not just saying, I am willing to do something for you. He's not just saying, I am willing to heal you. I am willing to make you well. I am willing to detach myself from you and make you well by just snapping the fingers or whatever. No, he's saying, I am willing to take your agony in myself. I am willing to be at one with you in your suffering. I am willing to connect with you from the depth of my very being because I love you that much. In fact, I love you more than I love myself. That's God. Because Jesus Christ is a perfect manifestation of the love of the Father. That's your God. A God who says, I am willing to take upon myself your pain and your suffering and to walk with you in such a way that your yoke, which I share with you and I carry for you, is going to be light and easy. 
Oh no, it doesn't mean that we don't go through anything. It doesn't mean that he's that Santa or that cosmic dispensing machine. It doesn't mean that he's our, at our service and our bidding and we can ask him and have him do whatever we want. No, because that would make us spiritually spoiled brats. And that's not what God is forming in you or me. God is forging character. God is forging in us the very image of Jesus Christ, the very oneness and communion that we share with him is being forged in us as we are transformed more and more into his image and likeness as we were created to have. And so God is interested in us growing, not necessarily being pleased at all times. But Jesus Christ here is willing to identify with us, not just in our good times. And oftentimes we think, oh yeah, we're having a good time. And it's funny because when we have a good time, we forget about God completely. We tend to not even think about him. We tend to just, uh, oh, being very happy with the situation or the circumstances that we're in. And maybe, maybe for five or ten minutes we remember God because, hey, we got to pray today, you know. But he's willing to identify with us not just when we have a good time. He's willing to identify with us especially in in our desperate moments. Because after all, when we hit something harder than we are in life, many times it is hard. And when we hit it and shatter, he's right there taking those pieces and bringing it back together to make something better than we were before. He doesn't put us back the way we were before. No, he makes us better. He takes the pieces that we are shattered all over life and brings it back together to build something new, something different, something great, something awesome and beautiful in a way that it never was before. And he does it by taking upon himself our pain and our suffering. He does it by taking our sin, our filth, our grossness, You know, he didn't just say to the leopard, okay, be well, get out. He reached out to him. He touched him. Now, by the way, I don't know if you realize that that's something you don't want to do with a leopard. That's why they go around town. If they go close to the town, they dress in rags and they scream and they yell, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. Oh, no, he didn't stay away from him. And he did not sin by doing that because he was taking upon himself the very infirmity of this man. He touched him. Do you think a God is a God who is a foreign God, who's aloof somewhere out there in the sky, somewhere far away from us, that has to be begged, and you have to do like the prophets of Baal, you have to pray the whole day, dancing around and cutting yourself and doing all sorts of weird things to get his attention? Because then I remember Elijah, what he said. Come on, scream a little louder, maybe he'll wake up. Jump a little more. Maybe you'll get his attention. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's somewhere else taking care of some other things. Well, guess what? Your God is not far from you. In fact, your God is not far from you at all because he's not just omnipotent. He's not just almighty. He's also imminent. He's everywhere. And he is, by his promise, if you believe in him, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he is in you. And in you, he's doing this work. He's connecting. He's touching you. In your infirmity, he's touching you in your weakness, he's touching you in your desperation, and he's taking that infirmity, that desperation, that weakness upon himself and in himself, and moved by that depth of compassion that comes from the very core of his being, he walks with you and he takes your yoke upon himself, he takes your burden upon himself, and heals you, making something better of you than you were before. That is the love of God. He's our great redeemer, he's our physician, he's willing indeed. And that is such a difficult concept for us to grasp and how, how he 
really is because you and I, let's face it, we don't experience that level of empathy. We want to help, sure. We want to pour ourselves out, but we distance ourselves as well. We keep the safe distance. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't care to do so. And so when we read that, and when we see that connection, when we see that encountered, it forces us to think and evaluate ourselves. Because, think about it, it was a leper who acknowledged something about Jesus Christ that many of us tend to ignore or forget, or sometimes grossly underestimate. It was a leper. Not the priests in Jerusalem. It was a leper. Not the scribes at the temple who acknowledged one thing about Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord of all things. He is the Lord of heavens and earth. He is the one who orders and has full authority over all things. The entire physical and spiritual universe is in his hands. There is no atom, no molecule, no electron, no neutron, no proton, no quantum, or anything that he doesn't know in the whole universe because he holds it together. He has full authority over all creation. That is the one you and I call Jesus the Messiah. God, the Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He's the one that sustains all things. And I wonder, sometimes when we go through our struggles and our difficulties, how often we remember who we're talking to. When we get in our knees and we have our list of requests, our Santa's list, sometimes I call it, if we remember who we are talking to, Oh, I don't think that you and I would talk that way to a president. Whether we agree with his policies or not, we would still have the respect. And yet the president is such a puny person. It's the president of one country. Jesus Christ is the king of all things. Everything that exists outside of God is under his dominion. It's under his control. It's under his authority. It's regulated, held together, sustained by him. And he says to you, you can have a meeting with me anytime you wish. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to call my secretary to make an appointment. Just pick up the red line, and I'm there. Pray, and I'm with you. Cry out, and I'll respond. But sometimes I'll respond before you even have a chance to cry out. Because I am with you, and I will be with you always, forever, until the very, very end, until the work that I'm doing in you is finally completed and accomplished, and I welcome you in my glory forever and ever in the rest of eternity, sitting, you, you, sitting with me on my throne, he says, as I exercise my dominion and my control over creation as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Think about that. How often do we stop and realize who we talk to when we have our list? How often do we stop and realize the majesty of Jesus Christ, of Jesus the Messiah, the majesty of God with us, of Emmanuel, God in the flesh? How often do we realize that it is in Jesus Christ, in his power of rule and exercise of control and authority over over things, that he comes to us to clean us from our stain, to put a bandage on our boo-boo, to fix a broken arm, or whatever it is that we're going through at the moment, or maybe to welcome us in his arms and usher us into eternity and his glory for eternity. You know, the leopard just simply trusted that Jesus Christ could help him if he was willing. 
He acknowledged that Jesus Christ did not need anything from anything else or anyone else. He did not need anything outside of himself to do and perform what needed to be done except for the fact that it would be his will. And Jesus Christ reassured him. And through him, he reassures all of us, I am more than willing because I love you more than I love myself. I love you with all my being. I love you enough to pour myself out and die for you. Would I not love you enough to connect with you? And Scripture says, if God has not withheld his only Son, Messiah, the Son of God, the one we've been talking about, if God has not withheld him, how would he withhold a blessing? And why would he not care? Why would we look at him as a Zeus that doesn't care about our future, only about his capricious will? God is not like a Zeus, is he? And so maybe we can understand the meaning of those words, I am willing, a little better right now. And we can understand the words of John when he says that God is love. And we can close by asking ourselves those questions we started with. How often in our life, in our experience, in our connection with Christ, in our communion with him, how often are we people of little faith like his disciples were? How often do we strip our Lord Jesus Christ of who he really and truly is and make him into our own image and likeness, attributing upon him our weaknesses, our limitations, instead of acknowledging who he really is? I would like to invite all of us to be like that leper, to acknowledge our shortcomings, to acknowledge our pain, to acknowledge our suffering, to acknowledge our desperation, yes, but also to acknowledge who Jesus Christ really is that he is the Lord of all things, and approach him as such. But not with fear and trembling, but with the confidence that God has given us through his love and through his spirit and through his connection with us and the communion that he has ushered us into, a communion that will never end, a communion that will continue to be greater, deeper, enhanced. I don't even know what words to use for the rest of eternity. And I would like to invite all of us to never forget the immense compassion that moves him. To never forget that strange Greek verb that means that he was moved from the core of his being to having compassion, not just for that man from a distance, but he was moved so much to connect with him, to be at one with him, and to take that infirmity upon and in himself so that we can be Okay, and so we can sing with him and we can sing with other people and we can rejoice in the fact that really, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what happens, truly all is well with our souls.